Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. Happy Mother's Day! It is a tradition, I'm going to put this here, it is a tradition here on Mother's Day that we honor all women in our church. Um, All of you matter. Um, There is a mothering spirit that we all carry as women. Those that have biological children, those that have miscarried, those that are desiring to have children, and those that mother ideas and businesses and so much more. And so today we do not just honor and thank the biological moms, although so important. We want to honor all women in here. So I want to pray over you all. Could I have all of the women please stand? And men, if you could just stretch your hands out and just extend your hand as a blessing. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of womanhood, of motherhood. We thank you that you designed us so specifically and uniquely with gifts and talents. Lord, I just pray over every woman that is in this room, God. I thank you for um, the, the ideas that they mother, the children that they mother, the foster children that they mother. Lord, I thank you for those that are longing to be moms. Lord, we just pray for your provision in that sense. And so God, as a day that we set aside to celebrate mothers, Lord, we know that you see into the hearts of those that are mourning, those that are celebrating, those that are excited, those that are devastated. And so Lord, we just know that you will meet us in those moments. And today, Lord, we continue to just say thank you, Lord, for seeing us, Lord. Thank you for the gift it is to be a mother and to be a woman. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stay seated. You'll see I am holding this fabulous little glass tumbler situation. All the women here will be gifted behind this curtain. There's going to be a cold brew and strawberry lemonade station um, for you to take home in one of these. They're pretty, like, it's it's glass, guys. It's not plastic, so it's real nice. Um, So grab it for yourself, please. I got mine already. Um, All right. I am pumped and nervous to share what I'm gonna share. I'm definitely a reader. I don't, I don't wander like JP, so the camera people always say they love me on this because um, I just stay right here, <laughs> a little nervous. Um, but truly, what I'm, what I'm sharing is something that I've been meditating on for almost a year now, um, and it stemmed from this question that I have asked probably 30% of this room in one-on-one conversations. And the question is, what does the simple life mean? Such a question and declaration of our age. I hear often, I just want the simple life. I just want the simple life. What does that mean? I started wondering, how can we make sense of what the simple life actually means? It means something different to everyone else. And one of the biggest blessings that came from COVID was this quote, simple life, slower life. I heard that from so many people, including myself. 
But it was also unrealistic of what God had designed us to do, right? Work, canceled. Church, canceled. Family gatherings, canceled. All of life was just paused. And being able to, in many many senses, like do what you want when you wanted to do it, all while depression was and still is at an all-time high. So what's the simple life? We tried the less is more, and yet it didn't work. People being left unfulfilled. What came with COVID was the lie that simpler, when you boil it all down, meant and still means without people. But let's be honest, that's a lie that has been rooted in American culture for some time. Have a big house that has everything in it so you never have to leave, a massive yard so you never have to go to the park, a life of convenience and ease, and dare I say, a life not being inconvenienced by people. Many that answered this question, it came down to, a simpler life means contentment and a known purposed calling. That's me like accumulating multiple people's versions of this. When people like actually thought about it, not like the, the big house or anything like that, right? So when you're going after what God has called you to do, it's, it's simple, not easy. We use those words interchangeably. Simple, not easy. When I asked what they think the world would define simpler as, it was living remotely and unbothered. So in a, time in, cult- in, in a time in culture where simpler and slower, don't get mad at me, please, is a buzzword for self-care, I want to caution us to not go after the faulty, simple life, the isolated, unbothered, let me do my own thing when I want to do it kind of life. And today is not going to be a message about you trying to find your one passion, your one mission and vision in life, although that's important. We need to take the time to do that. Today is about redefining a core command, a command that we are all called to have in our mission that protects us from this faulty, simple life, to be hospitable. Today, I wanna invite us into a deeper understanding of what this word actually means. And I wanna provoke a little bit and shift our gender-specific understanding of hospitality, of cute and feminine, uh, to a full kingdom of God commitment to loving the stranger, right? We, we use this as this cop-out for girls that be like, don't know their spiritual gift. And we're like, you have the gift of hospitality. And, and it, sometimes it's become, it's become this thing that people feel like, oh, that's all I have when it is a spiritual gift that many tap into, but it's a command for every single person in this room to be hospitable. It is the heart of God to welcome all. Right, so in this semi-post-COVID world where uh, boundaries and private homes have become our castles of refuge and safety, this message might rub you the wrong way, um, but I'm asking you to be patient. Um, It's the first time that I haven't preached exegetically, so I'm going to be going through a lot of different scriptures, so hang on. I will get there, and it's going to be a lot, but just just hang with me. Hang with me, please. We're going to start with the definition of hospitality. In Webster, good old Webster, it says, the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. It's a pretty good definition, but in um, Greek, Um, It it literally translates to philoexnia. I might be saying that wrong, philoexnia. And it translates literally to love for the stranger. These definitions are different. There's no entertaining reception. There's none of that. It's just love for the stranger. And a quote I recently saw that sums up everything I'm, I'm about to say in 10 seconds. Many people avoid hospitality because they confuse it with entertaining. 
Entertaining seeks to impress. Hospitality seeks to minister. Entertaining is an event. Hospitality is an attitude, a way of life. Yes, right? We can hear these things and we're like, yes, that's it. You see, hospitality is, again, not just some spiritual gift you may or may not have, depending on if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It is a biblical command. First Peter says to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Romans says to practice hospitality. It's not a suggestion. An article from Faith Word says, this is going to be a little bit of like a monologue for a second. It says this, hospitality is integral to the earliest biblical stories. God welcomed Adam into the Garden of Eve. Hospitality is a significant part of Abraham's story. Rahab welcomes the Hebrew spies. Elijah receives the hospitality of the widow of, of Zarephath. Elisha is hosted by the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings, but Jesus exemplified the most. Jesus ate with sinners throughout his earthly ministry. He received children greatly. He taught us to invite the lowly to parties and welcome strangers. He prepared breakfast for his wayward disciples, including Peter, who had betrayed him. Before his departure, Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for his people. Jesus also instituted the Lord's Supper, giving new meaning to the Passover meal, and told us that he will drink it with us again when the kingdom of God comes. Do you get it? Hospitality is at the core of God's character and integral, integral to the gospel. Hospitality is the heart of the gospel. I, I joke with people all the time that I'm, I'm hospitable and I'm not a host, um, when you come in, I make it known to you to make yourself at home, and that translates to get yourself your own food and drink. And it's not because I'm lazy, I don't want to host you. I think it's like this reverse love language for me. Um, I feel like cozy and comfortable when you feel cozy and comfortable. So if you like walk in and you're like just getting something out of my fridge, I'm like, they feel like family, right? Like you do that at your own house. And so I think I feel loved that way. Um, and so again, I, I say that to say hospitality is not like five course meal, flowers, all the things, although it's fun to do that. And that is a part of it. It's not all of it, right? This message is not to make you the cutest hostess with the mostest. It's to challenge your thinking of your home. And listen here, the home inside of you that you welcome people into outside of your home, i.e. your heart. My physical home is quite literally an open door. And I'm not saying this because I think everyone needs to operate this way, but it really is all the time. Many people even have the key code to get in. Um, we're not very private people. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing, I don't know. Um, <laughs> And we've created this family theology that when you walk into our home, you are family. And if my mom showed up, I wouldn't be like, not a good time. I would say, come in. So why would I turn you away? And I want to pause here. It hasn't hurt my marriage. It hasn't hurt my kids. My kids' understanding of family is vast. It's you. He sees you guys as family. When we were adopted into God's family from orphanhood to his child, we gained the largest family in the world. Why would I not want to reap the fruit of it? I literally got food delivered to my house yesterday from someone that just wanted to make me food. Like, what? You know, like, hello, let's invite the people that are at our door. They might have a gift for you. Um, <laughs> That was totally my husband coming out of me just then. <laughs> um, 
But truly, we say we want diversity in the church, but we haven't even accepted some of our brothers and sisters in this room, right? Like, have you actually accepted the stranger in this room? There's many strangers that you may not have relationship or friendship with. Have we accepted the strangers in this room? Oh, we just don't get along. I don't know if I'll hang out with them again. You know the saying, like, you can't pick your family? You can't pick your family. So let's love one another. Let's love each other as strangers and then again as family. But this isn't a message about necessarily our home, although it does tie in. This is an overall message of hospitality. And I'll say this again at the end, but you'll, you're not gonna hear a ton of like practicality of like, this is A plus B equals, like, you're, well, that would be one plus two. Um, you're not gonna hear all of that today because I truly believe that um, hospitality exhibits itself very different in all of us. And so I'm not gonna give these examples because I think that's going to be very binding to a lot of people instead of freeing. But before I go into kind of the crux of my message, I wanna go in, well, I guess this is the crux of my message. Everything after this is kind of an extension of it. But how do we become people of hospitality? We must first be hospitable to the Holy Spirit. Nothing else will matter. In preparing for this message, I was reminded one night when I was putting Eden to bed that the last thing I say to my kids before I put them to sleep is, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. It's the last thing when I put Eden in her crib, when I say goodnight to Titus, although he usually has 15 more things to say to me, um, so it's never the last thing. Um, and people get all worked up about like, why do we have to welcome the Holy Spirit? Isn't he already here? Sure, but when you come into my house, don't you wanna be hugged? Don't you wanna be said hello to, right? So the Holy Spirit wants to engage with us. When you are hugged and welcomed in someone's house, you actually feel an ability to talk, to maybe open up your mouth, to engage. Holy Spirit wants to engage with you. So if you think that hospitality is not gospel-related or only one part of it, it literally, we have to host the Holy Spirit ourselves in our quiet time. It's the core of our intimacy with the Father. Welcoming the Holy Spirit is actually a declaration of heart. Be receptive. Teach me. Show me. And right, being, being hospitable implies that you have something to give, right? It might just be, it could be a bed, it could be food, it could be conversation, but if you haven't been filled up in the spirit, your hospitality will be done with regret, grumbling, always frustrated, always frustrated. When we actually create space of intimacy with the Lord, you've opened up a space where he can actually deposit the riches of heaven so that you can overflow. And some of us are visual learners. This is the best part. Some of us are visual, visual learners like, yeah, that's, this is all great. So how do I do this? And this is the best part. Jesus wants to show you. So as we host Jesus in, in our intimacy, he flips it on us and then he prepares the table for us to teach us. And so then in turn of us hosting him, all of a sudden Jesus becomes the host. He wants to teach you. Until you do this, you will never be able to tap into kingdom hospitality. What we just talked about, what JP just shared about um, loving the migrants, you will never understand that unless you actually have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And I, I think it's so cool. Um, isn't it interesting that people, the people in the Bible that physically hosted Jesus the most were outcasts, sinners, prostitutes. This is, this is so cool. I had this revelation when I was writing this and I was like, oh my gosh. What happened to them? In their weakness, they wanted Jesus at their table. They hosted Jesus and then what happened? They got free. 
This is an analogy for us. Host the presence of God, become free, right? I think of Jesus being invited to a wedding. He was hosted to a wedding, a party, a feast. And what does Jesus do? He becomes the host of the best wine. When we host Jesus, the manna of heaven falls. So to recap this before I get into everything, I call it the recipe for hospitality. Host the Lord to host others, to host his presence so we can host his miracles in that order. Host the Lord to host others, to host his presence so we can host his miracles. Again, nothing else I say will matter if you can't hone in there. So I'm gonna go into four stories in the Bible that present very different forms or analogies for hospitality. It's gonna start with kind of like a declaration and then I'm gonna leave you with a question for each one to kind of meditate on throughout your week. And we're just gonna, we're just gonna go rapid fire. It's gonna be not too quick because it'll be hard. Okay, hospitality is a private responsibility. Open up your Bibles to Genesis 18. Hospitality is a private responsibility. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre and he, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if, you, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on. Since you have come to your servant, so they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sayas of fine, fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran into the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and a calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Why am I sharing this story? Yes, it's a beautiful picture of hospitality, sure, but I love here that um, a lot of, as I was studying hospitality and the root in the Bible, um, yes, Adam and Eve, sure, but a lot of theologians draw back this moment as one of the first moments of hospitality being, being talked about. And again, I love that it's, it's a man, it's and his wife, but it's a man initiating this. It dispels that lie that hospitality is this feminine and gender-specific thing. It's a response to loving God. That's why we're hospitable. You see, hospitality wasn't this reacting thing or waiting for someone um, to, ask, to be asked to help, but for seeing the need and being a step ahead. He ran to his wife to begin to prepare. He begged the visitors to stay for water. He didn't wait for them to pass by to be like, are they gonna ask to stay? He, he like foresaw it, right? He wanted to meet the need. And here, the best part is we later find out that these visitors were angels and one being the angel of the Lord. And if that isn't pressure, you could be hosting angels. So I'm, it's laughable, but it's so serious. It's so serious. Like you better be on your hospitality game because yeah, you could be hosting angels. So hospitality was seeking how to meet needs before the need was apparent. It was an honor to serve and care. And if you know this story in Genesis, this goes back to the joke I made earlier, but if you know the story in Genesis and you know that these visitors, it's these visitors that declare Sarah will have a son. Again, is it crazy to think our guests could be the ones blessing us? We go into this kind of like savior complex mentality when we're hosting people that, I'm doing so much, I'm doing so much. Like no one even knows how much I'm doing to get this all together. And then it's the guest that actually does the giving. Our guests want to bless us if we're willing to be hospitable. 
And again, in this time, it was custom and normal to do this for our travel. So we look at this as some like noble and set apart thing when for Abraham, this was simply cultural. He understood, I'm gonna use a Greek word here, he understood God's ekos. In Greek, the word ekos translates to English as house. This is the best part though. In the Greek community, this word means much more. It meant neighbors, coworkers, friends, travelers. If I were to ask you, who's in your ecos? What would you say? The people that lived there, that's what you would say. So for them, it was community. It was anyone that passed by them. Our houses were never supposed to be our immediate family, but a safe place for all. So the question I have here for you is, is my home available? And maybe it is. And maybe it is within your capacity, whatever that might mean. But I think it's a question we all need to wrestle with in our day and age. Is my home available? I'm gonna go into a little bit deeper on what that means, um, but let that sit. We're gonna go into the second one, which is hospitality. What's the opposite of private? Hospitality is a public responsibility. Open your Bibles to Luke 10, 29. You all know this story. Jesus gets asked, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So right, Jesus flips the script here and the stranger is in fact our neighbor. We see a man treat someone that society says he should hate. Instead, provide him with love, care, and provision. The part I love the most here, and we're gonna dive deeper in a second, is whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Hospitality knows no dollar sign. And I could give countless of examples here, but I don't even think it is worth it because I think you need to understand that from the Holy Spirit. Hospitality knows no dollar sign. Many do not see this one. This story as one of hospitality, but I disagree more, and it's probably because I'm a renter and not a homeowner. Um, but surely the home that we extend inside of us, our hearts, to people that we may hate. We know that even in this story, there is racial tension. This man, by many terms, should not have served this man. Likewise, in a political, political climate where everyone hates everyone and the divide between, between us appears to become larger and larger, there is only one way I believe we will make that gap smaller. If we care for each other as image bearers, no preconceived notions about one another or gathering the facts. If we leave that hospitality is love for the stranger, then with a true stranger, it's impossible to have preconceived notions because they're a stranger, right? But it's really hard to operate in that in our world today, right? Social media, Google, we're able to like look up all these things and then we mask it and say that's like discernment. 
Um, and it's not, right? And so well, how do we actually treat strangers as strangers in a day and age where like we have all this information? And so how do we actually step into Holy Spirit discernment to be an outpouring of his hospitable love? What if our first response was, I can meet that need. I can do that. I think far too often we've created a boundary line of love that Jesus never stated or lived. He dined with the worst, healed the worst, died for the worst. So the question here is, does my love have exclusions or excuses? Because if hospitality is a private responsibility or a a public responsibility, your exclusions and your excuses will come out of you. It will be seen. Does my love have exclusions and excuses? Hospitality will inconvenience you. Open your Bibles to Matthew 14. This is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And um, prior to this, Jesus had just heard of John's death. And he actually was in the process of going to retreat and be alone. And there was a crowd following him. You all know the story. And his disciples trying to care for his mental health, they tried to help him isolate And then Jesus, filled with compassion, performs a miracle. So let's dive in and see what it says. Matthew 14, 15 through 21. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Our preferences and personalities are okay, but only when submitted to the Holy Spirit. God knows your limitations. He knows my limitations. He knows your capacity. He knows your personality. In many ways, Jesus should have retreated for his mental health. Yet God wanted to do something. His disciples trying to protect him, trying to have discernment, get rebuked because their eyes are focused on the flesh instead of the spirit. And Jesus, always being connected to the spirit, knew better. The best part is right after this, we actually see Jesus get the time of retreat and isolation that he was looking for. God wants to care for that. I am not telling you to not have boundaries. Jesus needs to be the boundary setter. Self-care is all about remaining full and strong. But the point of this faith journey is that it is in his strength. So self-care makes us only operate out of our own strength. Does that make sense? God wants to wow people. That is when you know it is God. So right when you're dead, tired, but God. Jesus, dead, tired, upset, mourning. And God goes, I've got something for you to do. Are we that in tune with the Lord that even in our exhaustion, the Lord wants to care for your physical body, but he also has a kingdom that he's trying to build. And here you're probably going, oh my goodness, so like, do I need to like add more things to the calendar? Like, what else do I need to be doing? I'm actually telling you to do the opposite. I'm not telling you to fill your schedule. Planned dinner parties are this big of hospitality. 
It's actually when we work to clear our schedule that the Lord fills it with unexpected guests and strangers in need of a conversation. That is hospitality. Every holy moment is preserved for him. So that means, oof, even the Sabbath isn't for family, it's for him. And if a stranger needs us in that hour, will we submit to Holy Spirit instead of just submitting to family night? My Baba would tell me stories when they were missionaries in South America of knowing people were coming over and looking at the pantry going, how in the world are we going to feed this group of people coming over? And she would say, and she, my, Baba's very nonchalant, like, she's like, oh, and I was, as I was cooking it, it just multiplied, and it was fine, and everyone was fed. And you're like, that's amazing. And right, it, like, if you, know, if you know my grandma doesn't grumble about anything, she's 92 doesn't grumble about a thing. And it's our grumbling, right? Our grumbling doesn't actually change anything. Do we know that? Our crying out and lamenting to the Lord, yes. But our grumbling, it's just wasted emotion, right? Like it's not gonna do anything. It's when we have a faith-filled yes that will change it. So Baba faithfully pulled out the squash, pulled everything out and just started cooking. Food for everyone. The manna of heaven falls. So my question here is, who have my preferences turned away? I don't prefer to host people on the weekends. It's me time. I don't prefer to cook, so I can't host people. I'd prefer a larger home than I'd host. I'd prefer to not get things messy and dirty. I just prefer my kids to be older. It'd be so much easier. Jesus preferred rest in a time to mourn. Jesus preferred and needed food for himself. Yet the Bible says to prefer who above yourself? others. God honored what the flesh needed, and he still provided a space to pray and warn. God doesn't want you living out of burnout, but if we live afraid of burnout, we will never see miracles. Jesus feeding the 5,000, the most public, inconvenient moment of hospitality the world could ever see. Hospitality will cost you. If you haven't caught on, every time I say hospitality, it could literally be replaced with the gospel. The gospel will cost you. The gospel is a public responsibility. The gospel is a private responsibility. The gospel will cost you. Hospitality will cost you. Yet in this beautiful paradigm, we do not lack. If you don't give with your little now, you're never gonna give with your much later. We just went through kingdom economy where we just learned about that. That is why hospitality has nothing to do with aesthetic or the best latte art. It has everything to do with your eager and expectant yes to people. JP and I laugh every day with like, what's gonna happen? You know, like your plans, our plans are always changing. And that's not to say we have date night, we say no, we have learned that. We say no, we have date night. And then we have these like eerie nights where we're like, no, nothing's on the calendar. And then bam, someone asks to come over and we consult the Holy Spirit and if we feel a yes, we invite that person over because as we have time with the Lord, our capacities and boundary lines should expand, not get smaller. And the best part of this is, again, when we give God our eager yes, I've coined this term called holy cancellations. Holy cancellations will happen in your life. We've had moments where we are not even tired. We're like preparing dinner for people to come over. And then they're like, so sorry, sick, can't come over. And we're not like happy. We're just like, oh, I don't, I don't think I knew that I needed that. 
holy cancellations because God just wants our eager yes. God actually wants to care for your flesh too. He wants to. He wants to care for your mind. The more we're filled up with the Spirit, the more we are actually called to pour out. Sometimes, and I want to be careful how I see that, say this, so please, please hear it with grace. I think as I see a world that is going after so much self-care, which again, caring for your body, your mind, your health is, are all good things, but people's capacities have gotten smaller instead of actually getting larger. If we're caring for self well, biblically, Holy Spirit-led, then we should actually have more to pour out of us, not less. Hospitality is gonna cost you time, it's gonna cost you money, it's gonna cost you relationship. Mark 10, 28. So this is in a moment of basically understanding the cost of discipleship and trying to understand like, we at what point is it enough, Lord? Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Rosaria Butterfield responds to this passage in The Gospel Comes with a House Key, a book on radical hospitality with this. This is gonna be a mic drop. Please note what Jesus says about how to love anyone who responds to the gospel in faith and obedience and who must lose everything in order to gain the kingdom's promises. Jesus says that he expects we will lose partners and children and houses in the process of conversion. That conversion calls everyone to lose everything. God's people need to wake up to something. If you wanna share the gospel with anyone who will lose family and homes, the gospel must come with a house key. This hundredfold blessing promised here in these verses is not gonna fall from the sky. It's gonna come from the church. It's gonna come from the people of God acting like the family of God. God intends this blessing to come from you. And real Christians' hospitality that, cre real Christians hospitality that creates real Christian community expresses authentic Christianity in deep and abiding ways to a world that thinks we are hypocrites. This whole thing is supposed to come from us. We are the kingdom builders. We are the agents that God has put on this earth to move the kingdom forward. Hospitality is gonna cost you your home. It's gonna cost you your life. So I ask you, do, do you live with a scarcity mindset or a submitted mindset? If we truly believe these words that Rosaria is saying, we understand that nothing is ours and even our plans and ideas must be submitted to Jesus. Are we actually okay giving it all away for the sake of the kingdom? Like Mary, when Jesus comes to visit, hosting him with all of her time and attention and then again later with costly perfume. Like Abraham using the best flour and meat, costing himself good wages. Like the good Samaritan using his own funds, not the temple's benevolence fund to help the hurting. I don't think anyone caught that. We say the welfare of our city is the church's responsibility. That means it's your responsibility. That means it's my responsibility. Cost, sacrifice, these are good things. Cost and sacrifice, it's what Jesus did for us. And so when we have moments that cost us and that push us to sacrifice, it's actually moments that we go, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord, where we can actually remember the cross. 
Hard doesn't mean bad. Costly doesn't mean bad. Jesus paid it all. But the best part here, because everyone's like, this is heavy, geez. Hospitality will bless you. This is supposed to stir us up and to rethink and uncomplicate the Western American version of hospitality. Think some of us are going, oh my goodness, I need to do X, Y, and Z. No, you just need to be prepared and ready in your heart to receive. There's nothing you have to prepare or do other than your heart. And again, I've purposely left out physical examples of my own life or what your next step should be because I believe hospitality is an overflow of connection with the Holy Spirit. I don't know your wiring, I don't know your limits, your capacities, but what I do know is that we are called to be hospitable. So the, the verse that sums it all up of why it's a blessing, Acts 2, 42, we all know this, the fellowship of the believers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The culture of hospitality multiplies and leaves no one in lack. You'll hear Oasis say a lot, when everyone is giving, no one is lacking. But I started today with a question. What is the simple life? Acts 2 is the simple life. A group of introvert and extroverts alike, opening up their home, opening up their hearts, being inconvenienced often, and sharing everything, living with one thing as top priority, hosting the presence of God. Without hospitality, there's no Acts 2. There's no gospel sharing, and there's no kingdom building. So I'm actually gonna end today with a modern-day parable, um, and I'm gonna read you a children's book that was gifted to me, not my kids. It was gifted to me, but it is a children's book. Well, this take the mouse who carried a house on his back. Vincent was a mouse with boots on his feet, a hat on his head, and a house on his back. He had traveled many miles and lived many places, but today Vincent would live here because he knew it was where he needed to be. The hill he stood on was an ordinary hill with tall green grass, a well-traveled path, and a view of the sky that stretched for miles. Vincent took off his boots, he took off his hat, and finally, he took off his house. Not long after, a travel hopped up the path. Good morning, said Vincent. What's good about it, bellowed the bullfrog. I've been hopping since sunrise and my legs cannot hop another hop. If you wish, said Vincent, you may rest your legs here at my house. Your house, scoffed the bullfrog. It is much too tiny to fit a frog such as I. But the bullfrog was mistaken. Vincent's house was much bigger than it appeared. As the sun rose high in the sky, a cat crept by. You seem like a nice mouse, meowed the cat, but I've traveled far and I'm terribly hungry. You would make a tasty snack. I would not enjoy that, said the mouse politely. Instead of giving, instead of having me for dinner, maybe you could join me for dinner. I'm serving fresh honeycomb and warm milk. 
Oh my, purred the cat. That does indeed sound delicious, but I doubt I'll be able to fit inside your dining room. But the cat was mistaken. Vincent's house was much larger than it appeared. There was even room for a hungry cat. Clouds billowed in the west, and in blue, a family of hedgehogs, one by one by one by one by one by one, each wet and tousled by a mighty storm. Terrible weather in the valley, squeaked the smallest. Come in, come in, said Vincent with a smile. I have warm blankets and beds and a crackling fire. That is kind, they said, shivering. But there are too many of us to fit inside a house as small as that. But of course, the hedgehogs were mistaken. More creatures wandered up the hill, a fox, two badgers, a herd of deer, all weary travels seeking warm food and a place to rest. The mouse invited each of them as the number of guests grew, so did Vincent's house. The house stood bright and full, brimming with warmth and the smell of freshly baked sweets. As dinner was served, there was a knock at the door. <laughs> Darkness had come and a bear came with it. I'm lost, growled the bear. I'm hungry and far from home. Then tonight, said Vincent cheerfully, this will be your home. No, shouted the other animals, blocking the door so the bear would not enter. It was dark and they were overcome with fear. They did not want to share a house with a bear that big and that hungry. Don't let him in, croaked the bullfrog. He might eat us, hissed the cat, or squish us, cried the hedgehogs. Indeed, agreed all the animals, there is no room for a bear here. Vincent stood up. As straight and tall as he could, this is my house, he said, and in my house, all animals are welcome. My dear mouse, replied the bear softly, I do not want to intrude or cause trouble. Your home is bigger than I expected for a small mouse like you, but certainly not big enough for a bear like me. The mouse took the bear's large paw in his own. There is always room here, said Vincent. There was enough room for a tired bullfrog, a hungry cat, a family of wet hedgehogs, a fox, two badgers, a herd of deer, and even one big, not so scary, bear far from home. That night, the animals slept in the house on the hill, cozy and comfortable, full of honeycomb and warm milk under a sky that stretched for miles. In the morning, each guest shook Vincent's tiny paw. Thank you, they said, and one by one by one by one by one, they left. The bear was last. Vincent's home was empty. So we packed it up. Vincent had traveled many miles in his life, but he always knew exactly where he needed to be. Would all of our homes be a place of refuge, not for ourselves, but for the world God so loved? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of hospitality that you first showed us. We thank you that we actually get to enter into what it understands to love all, to welcome all. Lord, that we've learned from the best of what it means to create a banquet table, Lord, because you've done it for us and you do it over and over and over again for us. And so Lord, I pray, Lord, that as you grow and build your kingdom, Lord, would it be full of hospitable hearts and minds and people that wanna bring in the hurting, the brokenhearted, Lord, we thank you that you brought us in, the hurting, the brokenhearted. Would hospitality be always a remembrance of the cross and what you've paid for us? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.